the mind is always has is accompanied by an intention. So if we make a conscious it, if we make conscious, then those imprints when they ripen in the future, just like uh, the habits when they ripen, they can actually ripen in a different way. So just for a moment, if you think uh, the next this little time we spend together. Uh, if you just think, okay, well, my intent, it's like when you, when you, if let's say you go to medical school, then you have an intention. When you go to medical school, then you're going to become a doctor and maybe go, you know, help people with your skills. So if, in the same way, uh, intention with this, uh, our that you can direct towards uh, uh, for developing a more conscious attitude, because that's the idea. The idea is to become happy. And in this model, happiness arises through uh, mental balance and wisdom and warmth. So just for a moment, do I say, okay, so the next hour or two, anything that I experience here, I dedicate it or I motivate it, I intend it uh, towards generating more understanding in my own mind and then with the cumulative effect of being able to understand others better as well. So I'm a better person, better world. Okay. Thank you. Just think for a moment. And then if, as we go, uh, I hope the audio stays good. Okay. So just quickly review, I'm going to go through these really quick from last week. I say that, but it may take a minute. And I, I do want people to reflect on what is it you want? Uh, why did you come here again? That's an intention. Everyone came here with an intention, even though it wasn't conscious. Okay. Some people maybe came with a conscious intention. So what everybody wants is, remember we talked about it last week, what everyone wants is when you come down to a foundation, a basic level, every, all of us want the same thing, okay? And that's happiness. And, but uh, what we're doing here together is we're really looking at that. Uh, we have a mental model. We have a uh, a philosophy. Everybody has a philosophy on what happiness is for them, like how to find it. Okay, so in this case, uh, we, we continue to look at the methodologies or the causes of we believe uh, they create happiness. And when we come to so in Buddhist thought, as as I mentioned last week, I like to really stress that it's it's mo much more of a psychology and a philosophy. Uh, than, a, than a religion. The reason that is, is because uh, in Buddhist, the Buddhist approach, and I would, so I say Buddhist because I'm, I don't want to frighten people who are not Buddhist, because you don't have to be frightened. And the sense is that Buddhists thought you can be a Christian, you can be a, you know, you can be Jewish, Muslim, atheist, it doesn't matter because Buddhist is, uh, it is a, a system of developing one's inner qualities but it's based on logic, okay? So it needs to stand up to logic, and if it doesn't stand up to logic, then we don't have to accept it. In fact, the Dalai Lama has said, it's really interesting, what he, one of the things he said as the leader of the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, you know, he does a lot of um, inter interacting and inter integrating with science. He has done it for, for the last 30 years or so. And he's come out and said over the last 10 years or so that if science proves something is incorrect in Buddhism, then we as Buddhists will throw it out. So that's a pretty bold statement. I think incredible. And he has, uh, what to say, he's, he's 
accepted to, to take certain teachings out from the that were commonly taught before. I want to say one thing about that because people sometimes misunderstand. The teachings that I've seen him say we, we, we shouldn't teach that anymore because it's not science it doesn't hold up to science were teachings that were not actually taught by the Buddha himself, but were teachings that arose in commentaries by logicians and scholars and contemplatives over the last several hundred many hundreds of years. Uh, you know, it's very common when I was first um well it still happens, you know, some of the rituals that we do in Buddhist you know, talks about offering that the world is 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 um, perceived as flat, okay? And we do a ritual where we offer everything in the world to all, you know, to the Buddha, to all the living beings, and da, 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 and we visualize it as something flat. And he said, well, you know, that science has proven it's not flat. So, you know, you can visualize, <laughs> still do the practice, but visualize it differently, you know? Um, so that kind of thing. But the, fundamentally, if we're looking at, uh, each instant, uh, the belief is that all everything we do is to have some happiness. Now, how we define happiness, we can talk about. That's a, that was the slide. I should go fast. You realize I'm rushing. Uh, Audi or any. So happiness now. Huh? How we define happiness, what did you just say? How we define it, it varies. Okay. You know, we have to define happiness. Okay. Okay. And our our approach to uh, for, you know achieving that happiness is also different. So what it breaks down to primarily is, and it, it, we have to be really honest with ourselves that how do you how are you trying to be happy? You know, we're not going to have a discussion at the moment because we did a little more last week that you want to be happy and I want to be happy and the ant wants to be happy and the mosquito wants to be happy. See, we believe that every living sentient being has the same goal. They don't want to suffer. So they want the opposite, which we call happiness, safety, comfort, pleasure, whatever you want to call it. But the reason, you know, if you hold a, a, a match or a lighter up to towards a spider, the spider runs away. Why? If it didn't, if it didn't value its life, it wouldn't run away. Okay, that's our law, our our theory. <laughs> but you know, some people say they don't have feelings and they don't have they're not sentient. They just are mechanical, and that can, we can discuss that. That's of course open to some research. So for the most part, ninety nine percent of us uh, want to be happy. We f want to feel good, and we want to feel good all the time, and. The approach is that external things will make me feel that way. Okay? Um, external things will make me feel that way. Things like a good education, a good career, a good neighborhood, a good, a good family, a good partner, you know, a certain level of wealth or comfort. And in all this, of course, we don't deny that people need safety and they need health and they need um, shelter and food. That's not the point. Of course people need that. Uh, the point is, what is your philosophy on what will make you happy? And so if you think of the, from the point of view of substance abuse, you know, like, I don't know, heroin, problem, or any substance, alcohol. The idea is that the more, you know, alcohol makes me feel good when I drink, so if I drink more, I'll feel better. 
And then, of course, you know that you get hung over. So then what's the remedy for that, right? So then people, because they believe that the, the, the so it's not the problem, it's not the alcohol. The problem is the mindset. So we all have to look at our mindsets and what we think is our approach to satisfaction, happiness, and meaning in this life. And, of course, we're going to talk about that more, okay? Audi or any. So in the Buddhist tradition, and this psychology, we're saying that seeking comfort, satisfaction, happiness, fulfillment through external things, and this is nothing new, you know, through external things is flawed. Okay? My own teacher, Lama Thupten Yeshi, did say, just to make this clear, he said, you know, you, <laughs> he passed away in 1984, but he was quite revolutionary. He said, you know, you Western people think it's about giving up your your beautiful houses and wearing rags and, you know, not having, you know, just wandering around barefoot. He says, it's not about that. You don't understand. The problem is not in the beautiful house and the nice car and the good job. The problem is in your attitude. Okay. He said, you come from a you're very fortunate, a very um, sort of lucky environment. So you just should enjoy the things you have in the West. Okay. So that's interesting, isn't it? The problem is not in the thing. The, the problem is with the relationship psychologically with the thing. And that's where we're trying to get to in this a little bit in this class. Then we have Lam Yeshi's quote, Of course the human mind has both positive and negative sides. But the, but the, I can't read it all. Lauren, can you read it? Uh, the nature of mind. Of course the human mind has both positive and negative sides. But the negative is transient, very temporary. Your up and down emotions are like clouds in the sky. Beyond them, the real basic human nature is clear and pure. Thank you. So just to re just to repeat what we said last week is that that line about your up and down emotions are like clouds in the sky. That's not something that most people have any awareness of. And then even reading it, how do you connect with that? We don't relate to our emotions as if they're uh, clouds in the sky. Okay, we relate to them as solid concrete blocks okay we'll get to that later so what is the problem out there or in there now i have a question for people i was thinking about this earlier so you take the coronavirus is the problem with the coronavirus out there or in here in here is the problem with the coronavirus out there or in here you want us to all pipe in with an answer on chat there? As many as you can, raise your, <laughs> I mean, come, jump on in. <laughs> I can't see the chat, so you can just say. We'll let you know. I'm looking for the chats, but I can't see them. Okay, no one has anything. Oh, there. Okay, let, let me ask different another way. If there were no people on the planet, and there was the coronavirus, would be a problem. Mm. So we're getting uh, in here, inside, both mm -hmm. in and out externally. It is an issue internally is how we react to it. Mm -hmm. It's in my head and my reaction to it uh, seems like the difference between pain and suffering. Uh -huh. I feel it is out there, yet I know it's my reaction to it. 
right. problem is a judgment that can arise in the mind and be projected onto COVID. Right. No self, no problem. No people, no problem. Right. People dying is out there. The pain it causes me is in here. Right. So I agree. And, and uh, so, the, I mean, the, the transition or the, the challenge for us is, of course, you know, we see people around us if they're suffering. You know, we don't ignore it and say, oh, it's all, <laughs> sorry. It's all in their mind. You know, we're not, we don't go to that extreme either. So there's something COVID-19 virus. But if the problem was in the virus, then everyone would have a problem. Okay. So the 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 COVID is is really not to go too too much into this, but uh, the COVID the the virus is a an an entity made up of atoms and molecules, and it just it just does what it just is what it is. It's a little bit like dust, you know. But it has effect on some people. So, so there's not so the so the virus itself is not the problem because it's just made up of uh, just sort of data. It's physical data. It becomes a problem when it interacts with a person, or all of us persons, or many persons. Okay. So remember that. We'll go back to that. We'll go back to that. Um, and then we talked about uh, the problem for us people is that we don't have control. So. When we when we um, when we uh, uh, you know those of us who answered yes it's mostly my attitude my judgment my relation my you know mental emotional relationship with with COVID nineteen so then I say to you so why don't you stop it just stop just stop be happy what then what happens so this shows that that's where we're heading that's now. We do say we have the potential to stop doing that, but potential is an act, the potential is actualized. So that's our goal. So we talk about a path. Okay, it's a process, and the process is getting more and more control. Okay, that tornado is the same thing inside of us. We it's like tornado inside of us. We're really angry, or really jealous, or really afraid, really anxious, really depressed. You know, once it's kind of come up, it's very hard to get control, isn't it? Okay. That, that's, again, part of the process that we have to learn. Okay. Um, okay, so difficult emotions is what we're talking about. What makes them disturbing? Okay, so why do they become the focus instead of the virus? We're focusing on overcoming disturbing emotions, right, Lauren? You can just shake your head. Yes, that's what the title of the class was. So why did Lauren choose that? And she and I, why did we choose that title? Because that, because we're interested in trying to figure out how not to uh, be unhappy. Or the opposite of unhappiness is sad, well, not sadness, but suffering or difficulty or problem. So the thing with emotions, the true emotions, they upset our balance. Okay, that upsetting balance. Now we change our definition of what is sad and happy. That this unbalanced mind, and there's many, many uh, iterations of an unbalanced mind. By the way, okay, an unbalanced mind can be depressed. An unbalanced mind can be anxious. An unbalanced mind can be bipolar, up and down. 
manic and depressive. An unbalanced mind can be too excited. An, un an unbalanced mind can be too desirous. There's many, those are the disturbing emotions that we say. So we, we you know, the goal in normal life is just to be as happy or as desired or whatever the happy person that's just possible, okay? Luna, but the I, I, I'm sorry, but it's pretty bad. If you could move your screen just a little bit to try to do something with it, I think it would be beneficial. I don't know what to do with it. Wow. Sorry, people. It's okay. Let's just meditate. <laughs> I do Darth Vader. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah, just uh, Denise, why don't you like raise? Yeah, just interrupt me or raise your thumb or hand. Okay. Okay. So what I was saying was, anything that disturbs that the mind is a problem for us. That and that would change definition of problem. Because why? Because if we didn't have this potential, did it again? No. Oh. If we didn't have this potential, then we could we would articulate uh, we would describe the problem for me. Okay, so problem now becomes defined as what our potential is. Let me give you another example. Please. We don't. When I feed my dog, the dog looks extremely happy and excited about getting that raw meat in that dry food what it's called but if one of us if we were to say well wow look how happy he is and one of us thinks oh well why don't we eat that we have a different <laughs> attitude a different experience <laughs> and that's because we have the potential to eat better food right so when we get excited about our dinner tonight uh, I don't know what people have it doesn't matter everyone eats so differently these days um, then that, from the point of view of a very balanced, evolved, developed mind, they see us getting excited about um, our food a lot like how we might see our dogs getting excited about their food. Make sense? It's not within our potential to only be get our happiness from the food. That's my point. Okay, there's a deeper level of happiness, a deeper level of control, a deeper level of consciousness where the food that we're eating becomes sort of mundane, no matter how good it is. Okay. So, from the Buddhist point of view, everything. The entire situation is the nature of being problematic. So instead of saying suffering, we can say problematic, okay? We'll discuss that more. And then, okay. If we don't have an idea that things can, can be better than they are now, then there's no reason to talk about this. So the context of this conversation about discontent and problems is that we have to, and we could, again, we probably need to talk about it more. We have the potential for so much better state of mind. 
Okay. So much what? Of a better state of mind. Okay. A lot of people don't know that, right? We don't think about that. So that comes back like a lot of uh, that state of mind that I'm referring to is what's called uh, an awakening mind or, or an awakening mind. Uh, that state of mind is much more satisfied, content, wiser, kinder, more powerful than what we live in day to day. Okay. What do we do day to day? This is what we do on this slide. This is how we spend our life. Constantly trying to get what we want but don't have. Like, you can just apply this simply to this virus. We want safety. We want it to be gone. We want to go back to our normal life. We want to be able to go out to dinner, okay? Or we're constantly working on avoiding what we don't want, this virus. Look how much in the media, look at our whole lives right now are set up avoiding what we don't want. We can't go to restaurants, we can't go out, we can't, you know, go to the family, we can't go on trips, we can't fly, we can't go to restaurants, and so on and on and on. Okay, because I'm working on not getting what I don't want. Or okay. Then there's anything about constantly trying huh? Do you have a headset on you? What? Do you have a headset you can use? Is that bad? I don't think it's a headset issue. I don't either. I'll put the headset on and you'll Can you hear me? Yeah. Is that through the headset? That's clear. Okay. Let's try that for a little while. But I don't think it's going to work. Like you're flying a, right. You look like you're flying a plane now. <laughs> I am. We're flying together. The plane of Dharma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, I've had huge apologies on this audio thing. As Denise knows, I've been working on it for like three weeks, two or three weeks. I cannot, I, mean, I was even sent, my computer was only six, seven months old and they even sent me a new computer. This is the new one. It doesn't work. So, okay. So the third one is constantly trying to get what we, trying to keep what we get. Okay, again, we have health right now. If we don't have the virus, then we're trying to keep it. Okay, just think how you spend your day. How much are day? This is where we spend our day and losing what you, and then we, we do lose what we like. So just in the sense of health, we lose our health. It's not predictable. Okay, the problem of being separated from what you like. Anyone who struggles with this, you know, this whole thing about this, this whole pandemic that we're in is we've been separated from what we like. And it, it's kind of funny. Some of us do better than others. You know, some people cannot bear the thought of not being able to go on the golf course. They're separated from what they like. So it's a philosophy. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, are there people in, are people finding that that is difficult? You've been being separated from what you like? Let's see. Does see that resonate? I, I should say, does that resonate for you? For me, it doesn't. For you, it doesn't. <laughs> Good. So you're, so you're content being, a, being just quiet, 
with what you've done. I'm actually enjoying it more because I feel like people are doing it with me inadvertently though. Yeah. So I agree with you, but, and then there's, do you, have you met people that are, I, I had one guy say to me, Karuna, I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm in jail. Have you met those people? Yeah. I've met a lot of people that are kind of going depressed. Yeah. Yeah. If they, if this problem of being separated from what they like or the one before, uh, um, getting what we don't want, right? People Someone are getting... is that it's hard to be away from people they love. Right. That's a big challenge. It's difficult not to have normal sensual pleasures like food, people, job, and leisure activities. Yeah. Right. So I want to jump in on that, uh, going back to what I was talking about in the intro earlier, a few minutes ago. The people, the, the, the difficulty... The level of difficulty is based upon how much we believe those are our methods of happiness. So I know a lot of guys, um, myself being a golfer, um, I know a lot of guys that are just like tortured by, untortured is not the right word, but really, really struggling because they can't go, haven't been able to go out on the golf course. And the amount of investment you have believing that golf makes you happy, you see? Uh, is the level to which you'll struggle, not having it. So when you, people in, our, in this conversation who are struggling, let's just say you're just struggling not seeing loved ones. Well, you know, you have a chance, this is where the reflection comes in on how much are we, and it's very common, you know, that we are, we are relationship beings, but it also gives you the chance to look at, okay, what, what is it that, um, you know, can I be happy can I, it's not that you prefer it, but can I be happy or can I be, be thrown around because I can't see my loved ones, because I am separated? This is where we go. This is what the practice is. When we talk about a spiritual practice, this is what, it, this is what it's about. So, it's an so we look at this as opportunity, but it only makes sense. It only makes sense when we have it juxtaposed by the idea that there's something much greater that we can achieve. If there's not that, then don't mess with it. I'm not going to tell my 98-year-old mother, you know, that she shouldn't worry about, you know, or complain about her hip hurting or whatever because, you know, I said last week, if you, if you meet a beggar on the road, you don't preach philosophy or teach philosophy to him or her. You give him some money, you give him some food. You know what I mean? But if we can have the potential to, if we have the potential to become an innie instead of an Audi, and then to research what is the human potential, okay? What is our potential? Do you believe there's a potential besides just going day to day, trying to keep things cool, smooth, pleasant, um, you know, as best we can, and then we die? And by the way, we don't actually have the control to do that. So there must be something more. Says, being alone with my mind is not good company. And another one that says, miss hugs and physically being with loved ones. Yeah. So like I said, we are relationship beings. Uh, but, but ultimately, okay, so if I come in with a heavy hammer, <laughs> so we do this. You know, you have to die. Okay. 
we have to die. It's just a fact. And in this culture, by the way, as you know, we don't deal with that fact very well. So nothing wrong with loving. And for my own, my own, um, what to say, goal is, I, I, you know, is to be able to die a very a peaceful person, you know, to be able to die confidently. And so when I think about my kids, I have three kids. And I think about my wife, of course, I go, I get kind of afraid, you know, I get kind of anxiety because I think about separating from them. But then for me personally, I then now I'm using that to help me uh, because the problem is the clinging and the grasping. The problem is not my kids and the problem is not my wife. The problem is clinging, you know, the, the clinging that I can't exist without them, whatever it is. So, yes, you're right. That, that one you mentioned about hugs and, and contact is a big one for us. That's, that's almost kind of a core one. Uh, the other one, Denise, was what? Oh, stuck with my mind. Alone with my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, alone with your mind. Yeah, well, that's where we're trying to get control of that because um, the more we uh, are discover and access that quality or the potential of the mind, by the way, the more you almost want to be alone with your mind. But it takes time because at first the mind and what we're stuck with are all those what we're stuck with, what comes up. These are not going fast enough. There we go. What comes up are those. I get it. I've been through it too, and I go through those too. Okay, I understand. I'm not trying to say yeah but the only solution is to work through it and then these guys i'll tell you something interesting the more you work not maybe in the beginning it's almost like in the beginning they get bigger they feel like they get bigger but the more you work these do disappear they do weaken and when they weaken something else can come up it's it's phenomenal okay i want to give you the encouragement, but the, the qualities we have inside of us, such as we do have love, we do have compassion, we do have wisdom, we do have equanimity, we do have courage, but those emotions, actually the way it works, the psychology of it is these negative emotions do override and do overpower the positive, ones, so the positive ones stay dormant. What, so it's not so much you have to try to become a more compassionate person. It's good, I mean you do, but what really brings the compassion out, what really brings the courage out, what really brings the wisdom out is for the wisdom is to get rid of ignorance. For the compassion is to get, get rid of selfishness, to work on selfishness. If we work on selfishness, if we want these, these positive qualities, we have to confront the negative qualities, unfortunately. Now, in modern psychology, they, I, as a therapist, I don't think they confront the negative qualities as good as they, as well as they could. Okay, I think we can do a better job. So in Buddhist psychology says the issue is, are the disturbing emotions, afflictions, obscurations. Okay, we all got them. We all have them. Okay, and it's something difficult for some people, maybe all of us, to say, you know, yeah, you know, I, get, I'm, I have a lot of anger, or I have anger, or I'm really jealous. or I'm, you know, It's kind of embarrassing for a lot of us to say that, too. And now you don't have to say it to people necessarily, <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is it's, it's like, really? I'm not supposed to have those things. 
that's some message that's come out in our culture that we're not supposed to have those things. Maybe it's a, I don't know if it's a gender thing or what, but anyway, like men, I'm, I'm this, I'm, I'm sorry, it's stereotypical. Okay. Please forgive me for generalizing, but it's kind of like as boys were kind of taught not to cry. Right. You know, don't be a wuss. So then if we're feeling that way, like if we're feeling afraid, then we have, some of us might have a hard times telling our partners or our friends that I feel really afraid. I feel afraid of this virus or I feel sad. You, you kind of, we can get pissed off, but it's easier for us to get angry than to get sad. And I'm generalizing, okay? And that might be a bit old, old news, not so much new news. Um, Denise, I think there were some comments, maybe. No? I found that confronting, confronting the negative ones with loving kindness has been way more useful than clawing my way out. Yeah, so we'll talk, Try remind me if I don't touch on that, but we do also want to talk about, you know, therapeutic interventions, we could say, mm -hmm. right? You know, if, if, if there's a psychology, a theory, can anyone... I've been doing some, I'm trying to find out if this is true. Would, wouldn't it hold to reason that every psychological theory would then have a therapy? You know, we got lots of psychological theories or psychotherapeutic theories like family therapy and brief therapy, solution-focused therapy, psychodynamics, uh, addiction and substance abuse theory, um, all kinds. So neuro, even neuroscience is as, a, as a psychology or an explanation of, of, I think all of them have, came out as theories and then they develop a, a therapy or an intervention, right? So Buddhist psychology is the same, absolutely, it's 2,600 years old. I hope that they would be more than just intellectual pursuit. They're not. Of course, it's meant to practice. It's meant to use these ideas to get healthy. Okay? It's not just... Intellectual, intellectual, you know, by the way, intellectual understand, I know a lot, of my, a lot of people who have deep, deep intellectual understanding of Buddhist ideas and not much practice, and they're as messed up as they were when they started. Okay, it has to integrate, it has to integrate therapy, therapeutic approach. What is a therapy in Buddhist thought or do Buddhist psychology? Anyone know? An antidote. Yeah, but what? So what's what's the model of therapy? The opposite of the theory. So would yeah. a would would an intervention based on your philosophy of how problems arise, based on your philosophy or theory of psychology, uh, for example, uh, models of a uh, theory said that problems arose due to the relationship a uh, person had with their mother. Remember that? Some theories say it's the relationship that they had developed with their parents. Some say it's the social uh, um, construction that they grew up with. Some say it's cultural. Some say it's DNA, right? Some say it's in your genes, and some say it's, you know, uh, yeah. So based on those ideas, then interventions, therapies developed, right? 
Yeah, we have some answers of meditation practice, purification, impact of childhood drama. Okay. Is that are those many or one person? Three people. Okay. So yeah, so the the therapy uh, Buddhist psychology is mind training, mostly done through meditation. It can be done another way. Oh, yeah, I mean, it can be sitting, med but there's other ways. There's many, many, many ways to train the mind. But the fundamental approach is we have to train the mind. And what is nice about that is when we start looking at the um, recent or, you know, the discoveries or the theories of neuroscience, then we become quite uh, comfortable with the idea of mind trainer and meditation. So if people can look at uh, the book, I like it's kind of it's easy, but it's not it's not simple. Is a Buddha's brain? It's written by a couple of neuroscientists, basically just saying you know that the way that our minds are trained, our brains are trained to be to react the way we are. And we go. There's not a class on uh, neuroscience, but it does fit well with how meditation, proper meditation, uh, helps to retrain the mind, retrain the brain and the mind, okay? Uh, so meditation in the Buddhist context is retraining. It's actually retraining. It does affect, I believe, the, the neural pathways of the brain. So it's kind of pretty cool that there are, uh, these, these disciplines are, are meeting again. So to work with the, uh, these disturbing emotions, of course, we have to know what they are. Okay. We have to know how they arise and their causes and the right interventions. If they arise from our mother, then the intervention should be something, if the cause is our mother or our parents, then that tends to be, doesn't the intervention have to be something around our, <laughs> our parents? What happens if it's DNA? The intervention has to be related to the cause, right? Someone asked, is there another method to train the mind besides meditation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, meditation. Okay, so what do we mean by meditation? Well, that, a quick answer to your question is in this Tibetan tradition is debate. The monks spend hours and hours in formal debate, you know, with each other and with groups, and they work through these formulas. As young kids, they memorize these debates. They're not really debating. They're kind of acting. But as they get older, then they start debating things like the nature of reality, the nature of uh, impermanence, the nature of the mind, and all these things. That's why, you know, anything that I've been talking about tonight is open to debate. It's logic. So... Uh, but what eventually these, these, so it does, but these, that's why I say mind training rather than meditation. Now, the main form of mind training is meditation. But what does meditation mean, though? So, okay, going back to our earlier slides, um, this is going to be a bit rude, okay? It might be a bit rude. So people say they're meditating. They say, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm a spiritual practitioner. They might say it in more or less words. I believe in spiritual practice. And then they say, yeah, you know, I like to meditate. You know, I say, well, what kind of, what do you do? What do you mean by meditation? 
And they'll say, well, you know, mindfulness, I do a lot of mind. I, I like, really like mindfulness practice. And uh, I told them I'm going to be a bit rude, right? So it doesn't matter what we do that determines something as meditation or spiritual. Okay? It's how we do it, and it's the intention again. So a lot of people I've seen, now this is just in the common world, I'm not talking, is mindfulness has become like the new yoga, right? And if you look at what, just be honest, you know, if you're just honest, well, what I see, and I'm not in their, in their minds, so I can't say for sure, but what it looks like to me is they're using this practice. It's originated from Buddhist practice, by the way. That's okay. But, uh, and it's been changed. It's been sort of modernized. But if you look very closely at a lot of it, to me, it's about feeling good. And there's nothing wrong with, <laughs> sorry, there's nothing wrong with feeling good. But it feels a lot to me like the feeling good that they've tried, we've all tried throughout history. You know, when you, when, you, when, you, when you have a drink or when you go running, you feel good. Well, what's the difference? Okay? It's like, it feels good. It's pleasure. Pleasure is better than non-pleasure, but it, from a psychological point of view, it doesn't resolve anything. Of course, people need to be calmer, and that's good. Of course, people it helps people with stress. That's good. So there's good thing. Something can be positive, but it doesn't necessarily fit within our model of, of healing uh, the mind of attaining your potential. So practicing um, uh, mindfulness practice, for just for example, in a particular way, doesn't mean that you're accessing your potential. It does mean you're calming down, you're, getting, you're dealing with your stress, for sure, that's good. But it doesn't have this bigger purpose, okay? And that's what we're going for. So mindfulness, that kind of mindfulness practice will not get rid of your disturbing emotions. Okay, it'll suppress them. We're looking at healing, not just suppression. Okay. Any comments on that? What do you think? Someone in the chat put, I found that depending on the issue causing the suffering, mind training can include gaining a deeper understanding of the needs of the other uh, person when the suffering is linked to a relationship mm -hmm. and relationships with humans can be just as addictive as relationships with substances. Yeah. Su suppression leads to more suffering. Yeah. The thing is our minds are, our minds are trained to be, a, to be addicted. So I know a lot of, including myself, you know, we become, you know, we try to be practicing Buddhists or whatever. And, um, whatever I was addicted to before, I just start using with uh, Buddhist practices, you know. Um, again, some addictions are more healthy than others, right? But we're talking about really developing a fully healthy mind, okay? Um, Karina, when you say yeah. some addictions are healthier than others, do you mean like, 
healthier, mostly just physically or like physically and mentally? Well, it can be both because uh, addiction to heroin will lead to more of, I think, you know, just generalizing more destruction than addiction to golf. But they're both coming from the same mind of misunderstanding of where happiness comes from. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, addiction to golf is not going to lead you to any, any mental health either, but the effects can be different. Of course, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's, that effects are always can be changing. Depends on a lot of various things. Uh, But when we're talking in this context of becoming healthy human beings, we're accessing our potential. The only way to do that is, is through an internal process. Now you could go, play golf you can be in your relationships with your partners you can be in your family you can be with your kids you can be at your job and and all of those things can contribute to you attaining your human potential don't get me wrong it's not the external thing of course some external things have a tendency to be more negative because they're harder to control it's like if you're an alcoholic and you're trying to not drink you don't go hang out with your friends in a bar it's not the friends and it's not the bar. They're not at fault. The mind is at fault. But it's too, it's too powerful an environment for you. So uh, our goal is to go to work, to be with our families, to um, you know, live our lives, and develop our mind through that, with that. So it's not excluding it. Now, if those things are – some of those things are too strong, like, like every – you know, every time you go for a run, you complete, you can't help yourself, but just get really attached to the endorphins. And then, you know, for that person, they might choose not to run for a while, you know, to deal with it because they just get lost in the endorphins and the, and the, and the uh, bliss of the running, right? Mm-hmm. Or if it could be whatever it is. Uh, work. Work is another good one. Uh, the problem is not the work, but some of us are so dependent on the buzz that we get, the meaning we get from work. Um, that that not working is like torture because we lose it. So that case, it's the same as someone having to give up drinking. It can be. You know, you have to te- we have to test ourselves. So fun. What we're talking about here again is not the work, the golf, the alcohol. It's about the grasping on it, the attachment that it takes control. We lose control. It takes control. It's all about control. We are. The, happy, the free person has control. Mm-hmm. The free person has control. And, I, and I've been very fortunate in my life to meet some of these people. It, it, if otherwise, I don't know. Maybe it would just be you know, a pipe dream. But I, but I have been with, with a number of, of people that have various levels of control. Uh, control you know, beyond, what I, <laughs> beyond what's normal. And the level of control that I, I believe, and this is through study and then also some observation, I think the level of control is so unbelievably beyond what we can imagine. Um, so the, the level of happiness, control meaning happiness, is, is phenomenal. And then from that point of view, our dinner looks like dog food you know our dinner looks like you know what i mean 
That's a, what is that? I'm going to use a... that segue for two things. Last week, we decided to take a break at this time. I think this week, we're feeling a little bit more comfortable to get up and get something as we need it. As what about we... me? Uh, do you need a break? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about you. <laughs> would you like a break, Corona, for two minutes? I would like everyone to have a break for two minutes. Okay, great. And I'll take one, too. Okay, great. And come back with some questions if you need or clarifications you need. Okay. 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 So we're back, right? Okay. Actually, uh, anything that you need uh, to clarify up to now? Anything that uh, you want to comment on? I have a question. This yes, is Heather. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that mindfulness, the way it's taught i guess in kind of like a generic way hmm. um leads to actually suppression of i'm i can't remember if you said emotions or mental afflictions right um but i'm curious if you can say more about that yeah and um also what specifically you're referring to with mindfulness right yeah, so there's, uh, thank you. So there's, of course, now hundreds of, mo of approaches to mindfulness. And I was being critical of the mindfulness that's taught. A lot of the mindfulness I look at as taught is sort of a bare awareness. I would call it, we would sometimes call it bare awareness. So it's like just being aware of the thoughts and emotions that arise and, and think uh, or, um, being aware, and that's not so bad, um, but really the whole act of mindfulness is, uh, for example, my, my, my teacher, Lama Zopran Boucher, he was asked, what did he think of mindfulness? And his reply was mindfulness of what? Okay, so the object matters, and then the observing mind also matters. Does that make sense? So when, when we, the idea, the practice of mindfulness has been developed, was developed many, many centuries, well, in Buddha's time. And the purpose, we do need mindfulness, is to develop single-pointed concentration. Okay? In Tibetan, it's shine, or shamatha in Sanskrit. So we need single-pointed concentration to access that human potential that I was referring to. And to develop single point of concentration, which is a fantastic achievement, it's not just a Buddhist practice, by the way. In the Hindu tradition as well, they develop single point of concentration. In the development of single point of concentration, if we're all gonna like take a course in it, and we're gonna, okay, we're all gonna develop this single point of concentration, one of the elements of developing single point of concentration is what's, is what's called mindfulness. There's, but the mindfulness that's referred to there is about uh, remembering the object of meditation. So let's say it's the breath. So mindfulness, its job is to keep the mind on the breath. Now, when you're developing single point in concentration, by the way, you are not just trying to be mindful of the breath. You also have a different part of the mind, a functioning of the mind. It's being aware of the quality of your concentration, whether your concentration is, uh, for example, um, well, the main thing is, is, is it, well, did you 
become distracted? Is your concentration too lax? Is your concentration too agitated? Is, okay, so there's more than just mindfulness. And, and then there's also, of course, focus. Now, focus is part of mindfulness, but you got to remember the mindfulness helps you remember the objects. So, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm meditating on my breath. That's kind of mindfulness. And then there's focus that you, you bear down on that breath. And then there's an uh, element of, um, we could call it discriminative, you know, discriminating watchfulness. And that watchfulness is, what's my mind what's the quality of my concentration because it's very very easy especially when you develop single pointed concentration it's really quite quite amazing you one can develop single pointed concentration it has in some of the texts it describes having nine different stages that we go through and then finally attain it after the ninth stage you attain single pointed concentration well the seventh stage for example is unbelievable uh, the, one of the signs of developing single-pointed concentration at the ninth level is you can sit for four hours or more without any discomfort, without any, without any straying from your object. You know, uh, the breath gets very slow, maybe one breath per minute or less. So you really, it's like laser. And so you, you don't feel any physical pain at that point. But even at the seventh level, uh, you, you can have some of those, it feels like you've developed single-pointed concentration and many meditators get stuck there. And the reason they get stuck there is because of this quality, this discriminating mind that didn't realize it. And in fact, what they've lapsed into is subtle laxity, it's called. Subtle laxity or subtle laziness. It's not really laziness, but subtle lax. The mind is a little bit too lax. I'm just pointing all this out. Uh, probably too much answer to your question, by the way. Uh, so the mindfulness that it, it matters um, what, your, where, is it, was this Vanessa that asked this? Yeah. Uh, the, the question Heather. is now, mindful of what? It was Heather. Heather, sorry. Uh, Heather, so the really, as, as beginners in mindfulness practice, then, then we have to ask ourselves, well, mindful of what? We often use the example of in the military, if you train as a sniper, you have to develop mindfulness, don't you? You develop concentration. You develop mindfulness of the field around, like if you have a target, what I read, you know, maybe it's a thousand yards away. You have to be incredibly mindful of what's going on. That's, and if, or if you're a thief, <laughs> you know, you're mindful of who's coming in and out of the house, you know, or you go in the house, you're mindful of noises, you have a heightened sense of concentration. So that's why I was saying that, you know, mindfulness has to be directed in a proper way so that it's productive. Now, uh, and we all have to develop it. I mean, I have to develop, you have to develop it, but it's about developing it in a way that does not just suppress the emotions from coming up because then it doesn't, it doesn't eliminate those disturbing emotions. Uh, I could go on and on. There's another quality that we use and develop in meditation practice with mindfulness that is much more effective in actually eliminating those disturbing emotions, okay? It's a more of a, analytical aspect that's applied to to the concentration aspect or the mindfulness aspect okay question? yeah you mentioned did you, did you mention like nine stages or yeah okay levels so, like nine levels okay and i'm not familiar with those where do those come from or where would i learn well you can uh there's a number of books you can does that mean like where can you find those yeah, where could I get more information about that? I'm curious what they are. Uh, you might find them on Alan Wallace's site. 
Um, if you, if, if someone reminds me, I can text, uh, send a few books like best. Well, the one that I read is, uh, well, it's a few I've read, but the one that's very extensive is Geshe Zopa's SOPA, Geshe Zopa's commentary, the Lamrim Chemo volume four, a couple hundred pages, 300 pages, 200, just on this topic. Okay. <laughs> and if you want more basic, there's other, there's other books too, but that's, that's a complete one. That's for the that's for the the non faint of heart. You mentioned Buddha's brain earlier. Is that by Rick Hansen? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Rick Hansen is a very really really good guy. As well. I mean, I mean, I guess it could be a good book without him being a good guy. But he, he's very he has a lot of research. He does. Thank um, you. Anything else? Okay, so why don't we just do a little uh, mindfulness practice? <laughs> Okay, so last week, okay, so let's keep in mind that the reason we do this is for the purpose of training the mind, not just to feel good. And feeling good will be a byproduct. That's the beauty of this, okay? Feeling good will be a product. That's what's so awesome is um, if we keep our goal in mind, like the intention. So my intention, let's, let's, okay, everyone just, you can close your eyes if you want. The main thing is, you don't have to close your eyes, uh, is for your, the, the crown of your head to be in line with your, with your bottom so that your spine is straight, not rigid. Rigid leads to uh, ang uh, distraction, by the way. And if you're loose like this, like this, slumping, then you're gonna lead, that leads to laxity that I was talking about, and you get sleepy. Uh, the head should be just slightly tilted down, not too much, so you fall asleep, but just a little bit. You sometimes see people like this, and that leads to daydreaming and spacing out. Okay, so we'll just... And then your hands in your lap or on your knees uh, can be feet flat on the ground if you're in a chair. And we did the ABC last week. A stands for anatomy, which we just did. And now just, just do a momentary, just for a moment, scan your body from the crown to your feet. It's just a little slowly, but I mean, not too slow. And just see if you recognize any tension. And if you do, just kind of release it. Make sure your, your face feels relaxed. Often the face holds the tension. A, B. B is for breath. The breath, do not try to control the breath. Do not try to not control the breath. The breath is just like the traffic down below in the street where you're up on the 20th floor looking down. It just, the breath is just what it is. And usually you can sense the breath at the nostrils. If you're feeling agitated, then you can also then lower your focus to your abdomen and focus on the rising and falling of your breath and your abdomen.
C stands for counting. And on your exhalation, just mentally say one. Then on the next exhalation, just say two. Like that on each exhalation till you get to 10. And then at 10, go backwards to, to one. And then we'll do that for a few minutes and then I'll, I'll we'll go, we're gonna add D. I'll tell you what D is. And I, uh, it, it's a little annoying because I'm talking during your meditation, but it's, it's a way for you to get the instructions, okay? So you can do it on your own. So let's just spend a few minutes doing the one through 10 and then 10 through one, okay? And then I'll, I'll jump back in in a few minutes. Continue with the breath for just a few more minutes. The D for ABCD stands for distraction. And in this practice, distraction is part of the practice. What I mean by that is not that you look to be distracted. It's that you notice distraction. So as you're keeping the focus on the breath, gently, I just want you to acknowledge each time the mind moves off the breath 
We'll just do that for a minute. You get it's like just notice distractions. Added an E, A, B, C, D, E. E stands for inquiry or examining. And just for a minute, as, as an experiment now, I want you to bring up an emotion that sometimes affects you around this virus. So you have to do this in a very careful way, calculated, where maybe you read, pretending that you read something not pretended, but you remember reading something or hearing some news. And I want you to just examine the emotion that arises. And just look at the emotion as, as if it's a distraction. Keep your focus on the breath at the same time. In the background breath is in the background. If the emotion fades, your mind wanders, just regenerate it. Stare right at it, bring it back up, and stare right at it with the breath in the background. So that's good for now, I hope. <laughs> um, so just come back into your body and grounded. You open your eyes, look around. Okay. So This is this, so this is med meditation in, the, in Tibetan and Sanskrit. The word 
this is really helpful, I think. The word meditation in Tibetan is gom. Gom and the Sanskrit word, I, can't, I think the Sanskrit word is, might be dhyana. Um, the word gom means, in the Sanskrit, means to become familiar. This meditation we just did is real, actual meditation. When we say become familiar, it's becoming familiar with different things. So we're not interested in becoming familiar with how to kill somebody, okay? We want to become familiar with things that are helpful for the mind uh, to attain this deeper state of being that, that I believe we have, okay? The deeper level of consciousness is different, different, deeper way of this deeper mindset, mental mentality. It's like this. So if you look at our mentality, you know, just generally, and you look at, and of course, we got to project, so, well, somewhat. And you look at a dog's mentality, okay? I'm not saying they don't have qualities that we, you know, they have qualities that we don't have. But, but the depth of their mind seems to be shallow. Okay, take a, maybe you can look at a starfish or something. I don't know. You know? I don't think any of us would, well, I don't know if you want to train, trade consciousness with a starfish, okay? Uh, that, that, the implication what I'm trying to suggest here is that even amongst us humans, there's many levels of, of consciousness, aren't there? And depth. You, and then you can even look at children versus adults, and, but even just amongst us adults, it's unbelievable what, I mean, it's really unbelievable. We just have to look at the various politicians in our lives that, you know, in looking at that there's different levels of relating to the world and different mindsets. But it's true with everybody. So I'm, I'm just suggesting to you that our potential, there's a potential to go deep, 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 deep. And it's, we actually say that the mind's potential is limitless. So when we're talking about this meditation that we just did, is about becoming familiar. It's about becoming familiar with our potential. It's also about becoming familiar with what keeps us from that potential. So uh, it includes understanding the problem, these afflictions, and there's many, 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 many ways of talking about this, okay? Many different descriptions. There's mental afflictions. There's mental wrong views that keep us trapped. There's, um, uh, you know, dynamics of grasping and attachment. There's all kinds of things. So all of these become objects of meditation. And when we become familiar with them, we become more liberated from them. It takes time, but we're not going to get liberated from anger if we don't think it's a bad thing not helpful thing. We're not going to get liberated from jealousy if we think it's okay. We're not going to get liberated from this longing desire to have a better career and make more money if we don't examine it. Okay? So it's not the making of the money, you know, it's 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 about the mindset. So we're always talking about the mindset behind it. It's funny, some of these mindsets can be okay. Some are never okay. We say that anger is never okay. It's never a mindset that that is a, can be, have a positive quality to it, whereas desire can have a positive quality to it. You know, on, on a, on a um, you know, not ultimately, but as part of, you know, you need some desire 
to be better, <laughs> right? I want to be a better person. That's through desire. So, but anger is, we say, never has a positive effect, okay? Okay, so we, this, this, what we're doing is we're just studying the mind. We become our own student. And the mind is our object of study. You know, then it's about becoming familiar with, well, what makes the mind happy? What makes the mind sad? What makes the mind peaceful? What makes the mind restless? That's what meditation is, okay? Now, it's very hard to do in the beginning because the mind's so untrained. But that's why we do this breath, get it calm, to get it uh, more centered, and then we, we continue to develop it, okay? I think there's some chats I didn't notice, right? Does anyone want to say something? What's A, B, C, D, E? Oh, E is inquiry. Inquiry. I put anatomy, breath, concentration, distraction, examination. Yes, C is counting. Counting. Mm -hmm. B is breath. Yeah. Oh, who's Anthony? Anatomy, breath, yeah, concentration, distraction, examination, inquiry. Right. Okay, so. Um, Karuna, I have a question. Yeah, please. Um, what's, can you talk a little bit about, uh, you're saying medit GOM being familiarization and using meditation uh, as a form, as a way to familiarize yourself? And, and then uh, can you explain the difference between like familiarization with, I guess, your experience of reality being uh -huh. emotions, thoughts, you know, all of the things that arise? Uh, yeah. Uh, what's the difference between suppression and liberation? Yeah, yeah. Good question. So I have in a future slide, I don't think we'll get to right now, that there, okay. So if you take fundamentally that um, the disturbing emotions is our challenge, let's just say that. Okay. We accept that those aren't good. So there's different levels of practice, and you can see this in the Buddhist tradition as well. You know, there's what we sometimes refer to as the, the fundamental school or the Hinayana school, then there's the Mahayana, and then within the Mahayana, there's Mahayana and Tantrayana or Vajrayana. And so in the, the, the beginning levels of practice or the Hinayana, which I don't want to degrade, it's not like, you know, simple, is it, it is in the beginning about suppression. Mm -hmm. Definitely is about suppression. But liberation... It's a great, great question. So liberation does not, it means the actual uh, extinguishing of those disturbing emotions. So suppression doesn't get rid of the causes, right? That's why they come back. Even in just on a very, very basic level, you know, if we practice, you know, calm mindfulness meditation and you know, we might get less angry, but we know that given the certain circumstance, that anger is going to erupt again, can erupt again. That's mm -hmm. why we call it suppression. Now, suppression is better than the, the other one of just being wildly not doing anything. So when we go from suppression uh, and we, if we kind of go through the, the, the level of uh, development, from suppression, then we go to acknowledgement where you're actually doing what we were just doing now. You're actually engaging with the, the, the emotions, you know, engaging in this way by becoming familiar with them. And then you do apply analysis. Remember I said earlier, the other part of this meditation is the right kind of analysis or critical thinking about it. 
that we're not talking about yet. We're not, we don't, we're not concerned with it yet, but now we're talking about familiarity. And then, so that also, then that actually has the effect of, of eliminating, liberating or eliminating those disturbing emotions. Then there's another level where you can actually transform. So like difficulties, then you can use that to transform. Now it does the same thing as analysis, but it's quicker. So for example, I'll give you an idea of transformation. And this is a very, you know, I can't say that I can practice it, but the way it works is that um, when you're, let's say I'm feeling scared about the virus or something, right? Or I'm angry at my politicians. You know, well, forget anger. The transformative aspect of being fearful is that it can transform into concern and care for others. Does that mm. make sense? It's the same emotion, but it has a different object. It's a different kind of, uh, it changes its perspective. Because if I'm scared, I'm seeing this virus, I'm being pretty, what to say, mundane about, or, you know, simple about it but I, I i read the newspaper and i see this you know you know that's still increasing or deaths are not going to whatever and then i get scared it's coming into my neighborhood or whatever that has so i now on the lowest one suppress it right suppress is like just don't go there okay don't read the newspapers okay mm -hmm. now we know not reading the newspaper not watching the news doesn't get rid of that emotion but it's still helpful dormant yeah yeah. Then the second one where I was talking about where, uh, okay, I feel fear. I'm reading the newspaper. I'm watching the news. And I feel fear. Okay, I'm going to just, I'm going to examine that fear. That's, that's, that has the effect of eliminating it, uh, liberating from it. Yes. Hmm. Uh, examine it in a particular kind of way. And we can talk more about that. That That's that analytical or without the analytical, even just confronting it, just feeling it, you know, letting it rise and not grasping or getting angry at it or doing anything about it, it does rise and fall away and that does weaken it, okay? The next level, well, I feel fear, I wanna actually transform it. So then that's the one I was just mentioning about that fear transforming, transforms. So I see the, the news, my knee jerk reaction is I'm afraid and then due to my education, training, listening and study, right? And practice, I think, oh, wait a minute, that's a great way for me to develop that and the concern for others, for, exa for example. That's the, tr that's the next level, it's transforming it, okay? Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the highest level or the most advanced in terms of, you know, Vajrayana, it, it, I, I can't really talk about that, but that's, because that's very advanced, um, but that's about actually working with the energies of it, okay? Okay. That help? So, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. So just before the Vajrayana, there's the Mahayana where you, you shift focus to yeah, yeah the the okay. one below that the one below that can also be mahayana where you're just uh engaging with it examining it now what makes it mahayana not mahayana will have to will depend a little bit on mo your motivation uh that's the main thing uh, but usually at that level mahayana your mind is going to sort of automatically switch into that next level of of transformation for benefit of others or wisdom or something like that mm -hmm. that's how i understand it anyway that's how i think about it thank you that was very helpful yeah thank you Someone else? okay should i just cover one or two small things or you want to be done people finished exhausted tired of hearing my voice today one what do you think
I keep going. Keep going a second. Second that. Okay. Huh? Ten Please seconds. Go. Ten seconds. This is great. Please keep going. Okay, let's do a few more minutes. I gotta get to my more clever slides. Uh, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> So where we're at on this slide is that what are they? What are the disturbing emotions? So now we're becoming familiar with that. And this takes a long time. This takes time, time. And um, it's very, it's fascinating because these disturbing emotions for, because we're practitioners, we don't get rid of them because we start just in this, you know, we don't get rid of them in the middle. <laughs> they, de they decrease and they become more subtle. But granted, you know when, you know when you're really grossly angry, as opposed to just mildly angry, that's kind of how we go. We go from gross, gross. Like I really get pissed off with the slow drivers in the fast lane, right? And then pretty soon you're not so angry. You're just irritated with them, and then pretty, you know, as 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 an example, um, it works like that. It doesn't work. We really have to be very very careful and kind to ourselves that, oh man, I've been doing this for a year now and I'm still getting pissed off with slow drivers in the fast lane. I still hate it when the people cut in front of me in the, in the, in the supermarket. Don't they see it six feet? What's their problem, right? I'm still irritated. Uh, oh, it's a good example today, someone said, about they're not wearing masks, right? You're in the supermarket, someone's not wearing a mask. Don't they know it's a law? Don't they know it's a rule? What's wrong with them? They're so selfish, right? Going from that, irritation, then you might even shout out to the person. <laughs> right? Right? Uh, you know you should be wearing a mask. You know, it, if you're thinking of others, you should wear a mask. <laughs> but then it changes, becomes more subtle. Because why? You're focusing on becoming that the problem right now. Whether he or she, he's wearing a mask or not is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is your irritation, your quality of mind. Let's put it that your quality of mind. Okay. Now, when you have a better now, it it's not just selfishness because I have found when my quality of mind is better, I can relate to that guy better, the guy without the mask. If I say you should wear a mask or not wear a mask or I just whatever I do it's all better, okay? So it's not about saying you shouldn't say this, you should say that, you should, it's not like that. Uh, what makes it helpful or not helpful is the quality of your being, isn't it? It's a quality of our being that, that determines how people think of us and how they relate to us. So someone who's not angry and might come up to the person and say, you know, you should be wearing a mask or whatever, however they language it, that it's a better chance that the other person's not going to be defensive, not get angry. But if you come in with anger, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be an argument or something else that's not helpful. Okay. Okay. So let's just look at, so the six, now this is traditional kind of stuff. So um, When we talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about the mind next week. I'll try to give you a, a little more of a of a uh, map of what we're talking about in the mind and the disturbing emotions. So the main 
disturbing emotions. This is how it's explained historically in the text. We could play around with these six. The six are not, I don't want to say they're arbitrary, but they're not the only, these are six primary disturbing emotions, which are attachment, hostility, pride, ignorance, doubt, and wrong view. And of course, we have to explain what those mean, which I'm not going to at the moment. And then, but you might, some might say, well, wait, wait, where's jealousy? That's pretty destructive, right? That's, of course, jealousy is there, but it's subsumed under one of those, okay? And then we could say, oh, where's fear? Well, fear, of course, is in there. It's subsumed under one of those. Uh, we could change these around because culturally, maybe fear is a bigger one for us now than, than uh, hostility or, pro or pride. But fear, if we analyze it, we'll see that it falls under one of these. It's, it's a dynamic of one of these six. You might say, well, what about the greedy, greedy so-and-so businessman or whatever? Well, greed, greed, that's, greed is, seems like a big one, but that falls under, that'll fall probably under attachment, okay? So these are just um, data points, we could say, and something to begin to, to, to examine with our, become familiar within us. Okay. So it all starts... What makes us shift from outer to inner is reminding ourselves that we have a choice. Okay? That's what changes. We may not know what the choice is. We may not know what to do. But when the, when the guy is cutting in front of you or doesn't have this mask on going into the supermarket, and your, our knee-jerk reaction, our usual reaction is to say something or not say something but just glare at the guy or not say something, but just be irritated and maybe sad because people aren't paying attention and they don't care. Whatever it is, that moment is to train ourselves in the learning that we have a choice who, we, who to be at that point. And it's very important for us to spend a lot of time reflecting on who it is we want to be. Okay. And now that we know there's potential, if we know there's potential, right? And this is what is missing in our culture. We have potential to be something besides, uh, you know, a good parent or a good, a good manager or a good athlete, good golfer. Those are all fine. It's our identity. It's shifting what our identity, what our goal for identity is. It's shifting and choosing an identity that we prefer. And many, many, many people don't know that they can have an identity that's phenomenal, okay? Phenomenal because of the endless potential of the mind, okay? Look at those little feet. They're so cute. <laughs> okay, I think I'll stop there. Remember, you have a choice this week. Just think about if you can remember that there's a choice. And then, on top of that, do you really have a choice? So what I mean by that is, can you come to some, just do a certain level of inquiry about whether we have choice or not? And then, can you exercise it? Can you manifest it at will.
In fact, I think I'll ask you, just to leave that. Do you know what I mean? Do you, is this choice we have, like I wanna, okay. So all of us, let's just say, I'll make an assumption, but just go along with me on this. We all wanna be kinder. So now I'm gonna say, so don't, do we have a choice to be kinder? I would say yes. But then now, do we? So I'm gonna say from now until next week, everyone in this class is only gonna be kinder and not not kind, okay? <laughs> okay, everyone on board with that? And if, okay. <laughs> Uh, so probably you, you get the point. Why can't we just decide to be kinder or wiser or smarter or more compassionate and patient? How about that? Just patient. Okay. We could become more patient. I have a choice. I have a choice whether to be patient with that guy coming in the supermarket or not. Now I'm only going to be, yeah, in the, the driver, in the, you know, in the uh, fast lane, who's going 10 miles under the speed limit and a whole line of cars behind him. Yeah, I, I'm getting average. Oh, I have a choice. I'm going to be only patient now, right? Everyone's on board, right? They're only going to be patient this week and they're only going to be kinder. We know. Why are we going to be able to do it? I mean, I don't mean might be more patient, but I mean patient all the time. <laughs> so that's what I want to talk about next week. Why, if you can, if you can turn on that switch or if you can't, and then why not? So this is your examination. This is your homework for the week. Okay. Anything Alex, else you guys? Yeah. I said Alex Shaken. I'll do my best. Okay. You better pass. You better pass. If you don't pass, you can't come back. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> uh, anything else? I can't pass. I desperately need to come back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, so people are doubtful, of course. Good. Then if we're doubtful, we can do it. I want to know why. Okay, I, I don't want to know. I want you to know, tell me why it might be, uh, why you can't do it. Okay, that's, that comes back to it. Okay, anything else? Um, no, nothing else? Okay, so um, now at the end of this, we can dedicate all this energy. I know these are kind of, these are traditional Buddhist ways of doing things, but, you know, commencement, oh, no, that's commencement. What do they do at, do they, where's the dedication in? Do they, Anyway, we can dedicate. So what, what it means is, again, we generated countless mental energy imprints during this two hours. Okay, it's so many we can't count. And then um, if we don't dedicate it towards something, then they'll just, they'll just ripen at their time and then just disappear and that'll be it. But you can dedicate, it's like investing money. So I'm putting money in the bank. So all these imprints, if you don't tell the bank that it's towards a college fund or something, then it just going to be spent. Okay, so I'll just tell you what my dedication would be, and then you can make up your own. My de my dedication is that through our coming together today, tonight, and our meeting, and our you listening mostly, and me talking too much, is that you know our minds became active, and maybe there was some inquiry and some thinking about stuff, maybe some learning, 
and that all of that is dedicated, that uh, I will develop my ultimate potential. It goes towards that development rather than just some intellectual uh, stimulation. Goes to that, uh, instead of intellectual stimulation, just disappears. It's dedicated the, to developing this ultimate potential. And this ultimate potential is not just for me, because uh, that just seems so uh, limited too, so that I can be really know how to help people because it developed my own wisdom and my own warm heart. So then, then I can be effective for other beings, okay?